This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day 53 of the 60-day legislative session. One more week and they should be done. A bill to strengthen Florida's right to farm law is headed for the governor's desk after final passage in the House. The debate had its moments. I went to Corn Lake Middle School in East Orange County, used to be cow pastures there when I was a kid, and we smelled manure every single day. Leesburg used to plant a lot of crops, but for the last 20 years they've been planting Yankees. Now I probably have shoveled more chicken manure than anybody except Representative Clements. Probably qualifies us well to be in the Florida legislature. Everyone loves their local farmers, but this bill also protects big sugar from the legal fallout over the burning of cane fields in South Florida. A revamp of state elections law reaches the Senate floor. Among other things, it prohibits people from handing out treats and drinks at polling places if they have any campaign stickers. But you can always BYOB. Unless it has a campaign-related sticker on it within 150 feet, there's no issue with the water. Water, vodka, whatever you want to carry with you into that polling place in your own hand, you are welcome to take with you. Thank you, Chair Stargell. I prefer red. The elections bill is ready for final passage in the Senate. The Florida Supreme Court says an amendment to legalize recreational marijuana cannot go on the ballot next year because it misleads the voters. Glenn Burhans analyzes that decision on the Sunrise interview. The court found that by having language that stated unequivocally that cannabis use would be permitted in Florida was misleading because under federal law, the use of marijuana would still be illegal. And it was the failure of the ballot language to make that distinction clear that spelled the proposal's doom. The House approves a bill that would make it easier to exclude the only Democrat elected to the state cabinet. We should reject it at face value as the power grab, the partisanly motivated power grab that it is. The bill is not a political power grab. It simply is not. It doesn't matter how many times you say that it is, you can't make it that. And don't look now, but OtterCat has resurfaced in the Florida Senate. Uh, Senator Broder, does this bill have anything to do with OtterCat? Should the FWC find that species exists, it would help protect them and their migration patterns for reproduction. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida couple who invited their friends to a lavish wedding at what they thought would be a vacant mansion. It was not. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, April 23rd. This is the Day of Silence, a campaign to shed light on what many LGBTQ youth experience daily. Millions take part by staying silent for the duration of the day, representing the silencing of LGBTQ students. This is Impossible Astronaut Day. It's a tribute to Doctor Who. This is also National Cherry Cheesecake Day and National Picnic Day. On this date in 1516, the Duke of Bavaria endorsed the German beer purity law. It set new standards for the sale of beer in Bavaria, saying it could only be brewed from three ingredients, water, malt, and hops. It also set limits on the price of beer. 
and on this date in 1982, the Conk Republic was established. The ceremonial secession of the Florida Keys was a protest after the feds placed a Border Patrol roadblock at the Last Chance Saloon in Florida City, creating a 17-mile-long traffic jam as they stopped and checked every car entering or leaving the Keys. The mayor of Key West said if the U.S. was going to treat the Keys as a foreign country, they might as well make it official. Florida's Department of Health confirmed 6,684 new cases of COVID Thursday, the highest number so far this week. The state also announced 84 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 35,378. Say what you will about the Florida legislature, but you have to admit they do love farmers. The House has approved Senate Bill 88 to strengthen the existing right to farm law, and it's on its way to the governor for his signature. Representative Chuck Bannon of McClenney says it will protect farmers from nuisance lawsuits, which he learned about during his younger days working at Dad's chicken farm. Wasn't a lot automated about the chicken business in those days. We picked up eggs by hand, and we moved chicken manure by pitchfork and shovel. Now, I probably have shoveled more chicken manure than anybody except Representative Clemens. Probably qualifies us well to be in the Florida legislature. (laughs) But the point of this story is when you're involved in animal agriculture, you have smells, you have flies. That's what you have to produce meat and eggs. We, We had a layer farm. Well, I watched my poor old daddy get drugged down to the courthouse get drugged down before the county commission, get drugged down before the health department about the smells and the flies, even though we were complying with every standard there was. Opponents of the bill say they like farmers too, but Representative Anna Eskimani of Orlando says this bill includes language designed to protect the sugar industry from lawsuits over the smoke and the particulates that people breathe when cane fields are burned. We already have the Right to Farm Act in Florida law today. And so if there's a aroma of organic material coming from a nearby farm, um, you can't sue for that, right? That's a nuisance that you won't be able to sue on. But if this bill does become law, if you live near the Everglades agriculture area and have inhaled black ash and smoke from sugarcane burning, which we are learning through research and more data that it's causing long-term health problems, and you want to sue based on those grounds, if this bill becomes law, Florida legislators are essentially saying you can't do that, right? And so I want to be clear that suing because you have concerns over the air you breathe compared to suing because you smell manure is not the same thing. I went to Corn Lake Middle School in East Orange County, used to be cow pastures there when I was a kid, and we smelled manure every single day. That wasn't the problem for me. That wasn't something that I ever complained about. And it might be annoying for some folks, but it is protected under current law. But this bill isn't about protecting the industry from nuisance lawsuits. It's giving them immunity to cause damage to public health. Beekeepers and apiaries are also covered. Fort Meade representative Melanie Bell's family owns a commercial beekeeping operation, and she says they need that protection. As an owner of a small family-owned business, which is Bell Apiaries, a beekeeper, which is a farming business, we encounter lawsuits every day because of our bees. And if you don't think a beekeeper is at risk of being sued, just go to the Internet. Last night I went there and looked at beekeepers being sued from bee stings and quit counting After I found 4,500 attorneys that are advertising, come to me 
we would like to help you out and bring money to your table. 80% of your produce market has to be pollinated by a bee. Watermelons, cantaloupes, strawberries, cucumbers, almonds, even all nuts. The bees are so important in our world. Think about what we use honey for. We use it for allergies. Diabetics can have honey. Honey is so important to our diet in today's time. So I ask that everyone please vote up on this bill today because farmers feed America. Representative Omari Hardy of Palm Beach County says this is about more than farmers. It's about the sugar industry using its clout in the capital to shield itself from environmental accountability. We have to protect farmers. We have to ensure that farmers have a right to farm. But this isn't about whether farmers have a right to farm. It's about whether people who have been harmed should have some feasible recourse to that harm. It's about whether people who have been wronged should have an opportunity to make those wrongs right. It's also about whether we should upend our common law tradition in nuisance law, a tradition that dates back to colonial times in America, and that before it came here from England, went all the way back to the reign of King Henry III in England. This is an 800-year legal tradition that because of a lawsuit that's currently in court and because of the influence that some folks have on the process, we are revisiting and changing and I would say turning it upside down. I believe that we should protect farmers. I just don't believe that we should do it at the expense of an entire branch of government. But farm owner and state representative Rick Roth of West Palm Beach says they need all the help they can get because farmers are being squeezed out in the Sunshine State. And it's not just lawsuits. We all know that agriculture is always going to be under attack. It's called invasive pest. Do you know that there are two invasive pests that come to Florida every month? Two. Oh yeah, but if I say citrus greening, you start to understand, right? How about hurricanes Wilma, Irma, and Michael, just to name a few? Irma that, that wiped out a lot of the citrus industry in Southwest Florida. Michael that put almost a death blow to, to the forestry industry. How about bad trade agreements? NAFTA. We've gone from 300 tomato farmers in Florida in 1995 to less than 10. And how about the latest one? You probably didn't think about this one. How about economic boom? How about building houses? Some of us farmers, we like to joke about Leesburg, Florida, because Leesburg used to plant a lot of crops. But for the last 20 years, they've been planting Yankees. We're losing our agricultural lands to an economic boom. And guess what? During these economic boom times, people are going, man, we're glad you're still farming. We're tired of all these houses being built. We're getting too many people in Palm Beach County. It's one and a half million. We don't need any more. Keep farming. So the farmers are being loved right now. And I really do feel the love today in this chamber. 
How much love? Well, the right to farm bill passed the House by a lopsided margin of 110 to 7. A controversial bill revamping state election laws is ready for a vote in the state Senate after lawmakers spent several hours on the floor grilling the sponsor and going over nuances of the bill. Senator Dennis Baxley-Vocala is the sponsor of SB90. This has been an unprecedented time in the country with more people than ever before voting by mail out of necessity due to the global pandemic. It's paramount that we maintain a secure and transparent vote-by-mail system for those Floridians who opt to do so. The bill increases election security and integrity in our vote-by-mail process. Drop boxes is another topic. While relatively new to our election procedures, serving uh, served to be very popular with many voters. And while I continue to have reservations about how they're deployed and associated risk, our supervisors advocated very strongly for their continued use. So under the bill before you today, drop boxes will continue to be allowed. With respect to no solicitation zones, this bill is not Georgia 2.0. To protect voters from unwanted solicitation or intimidation as they approach the polls, Florida has had a robust no solicitation zone for years. Please listen carefully. All we're doing in this bill is clarifying that seeking votes, distributing campaign materials, and giving or attempting to give items to voters is prohibited within 150 feet of polling places, early voting sites, and drop box locations. This bill makes it clear that an employee or volunteer with a supervisor elections may provide assistance to voters within the no solicitation zone, which would include giving out bottles of water. Finally, the bill makes a number of other administrative changes to improve upon security and transparency by requiring additional identifying information when making a change to a registration record or requesting a vote-by-mail ballot, new requirements for real-time election data reporting, and observing canvassing process. They were not supposed to be debating the bill. This was question and answer time. But lawmakers can always find a way to turn those questions into political statements. Consider this exchange between Baxley and Senator Chevron Jones of Miami Gardens, who opposes the bill. Senator Baxley, the House Public Integrity and Elections Committee just surveyed Florida supervisors of elections about how many cases of suspected voter fraud there have been referred to the state's attorney over the past four years. The total that they report is only 386 suspected cases over the last four years. What this means is that officials in charge of Florida's elections report that the, sus the suspected fraud happens only one one thousandth of one percent. That's point zero 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 one percent of the time. Is that correct? Senator Baxley, I'm not sure that that was a question, that that was a debate speech, but if you can narrow down to just ask me a question, I'll be glad to answer it. So, Senator Baxley, do you believe that there was vote-by-mail fraud in the last election? That's not the purpose of our bill. It's not in the bill, and uh, I don't, I'm prefer not, I, and I don't really have the answer to that question either. 
But my favorite exchange was when Senator Kelly Stargell of Lakeland was explaining to Senator Audrey Gibson of Jacksonville why they wanted to stop partisans from handing out snacks and water to voters while they wait in line. We're making very clear that that area around that polling place is not a campaigning area, but an area for a person to be able to go and vote. Is there something in the bill that specifically says water? You can't have a bottle of water? It, it says you can't have anything that's campaign related within that area. So the, the issue of water really is a non-issue as long as it's outside of, well, unless it has a campaign related sticker on it within 150 feet, there's no issue with the water. Water, vodka, whatever you want to carry with you into that polling place in your own hand, you are welcome to take with you. Thank you, Chair Stargell. I prefer red. The Senate has finished with questions and amendments, and the bill is now ready for final passage at their next meeting. Don't mean to harsh your buzz, but if you were hoping to vote next year on an amendment legalizing the recreational use of marijuana, you are out of luck. The Florida Supreme Court says the proposition submitted by a group called Make It Legal Florida is too misleading to appear on the ballot. So we called on Tallahassee attorney Glenn Burhans, who has lots of experience with citizen petition drives, to sort through the legalese. What do you make of this decision from the Florida Supreme Court, and what happens with the whole legalization effort at this point? So a couple things, Rick. First and foremost, the, the Florida Supreme Court is continuing its trend over the past year or so of ruling very narrowly on proposed constitutional amendments when analyzing the ballot language to determine whether or not it should be placed on the ballot, whereas in the past you had some very broad rulings that were somewhat sweeping in scope and, and to critics' point, sometimes created conflicting signals on what would be permissible and what, not, what would not be. Here, the, the court is continuing the trend of focusing narrowly on a key dispositive issue and basing the decision only on that narrow point. So, for example, here, the court found that by um, having language that unequivocally, that stated unequivocally that cannabis use would be permitted uh, in Florida was misleading because under federal law, the use of marijuana would still be illegal. And it was the failure of the ballot language to make that distinction clear that spelled the proposal's doom. And the court referred back to the last two medical marijuana amendments as examples, um, because in both of those instances, uh, the ballot language noted that this was affecting Florida law only and would not authorize or immunize a violation of federal law. And the court found that distinction to be important, and that's why it invalidated the uh, proposal here. Now, to your second question, what happens to the whole legalization effort? Well, you know, we're already almost halfway through 2021, and to get on the ballot for 2022, uh, you've got to get, you know, about a million signatures gathered and over 800,000 certified by February 1st. I, I think it's it would be a tough road to hoe for anybody if anybody's even contemplating doing it at this point, to tell you the truth. As you may know, there are some legislative changes being proposed on constitutional referenda that could make it all but impossible to to get um, initiatives passed going forward just based upon the restrictions that, that look like they're going to become law this legislative session. And those half million signatures that have already been collected by the Make It Legal campaign, those are all toast now, right? They are. Done and done. 
So that's millions of dollars down the tubes because the Supreme Court was, well, is nitpicking a fair way to say it? I wouldn't say nitpicking. I think they're drawing a very fine distinction about what they found acceptable in the past and, and why this is not acceptable now. I will tell you the decision reveals kind of an interesting dynamic at the court right now because there was a lengthy dissent by Justice Lawson, who and he was joined by Justice LaBarge. And the sum and substance of Justice Lawson's dissent was, hey, we basically approved this very same thing previously. And everybody knows that state law can't change federal law. And people generally are aware that uh, marijuana remains illegal under federal law. So the the dissent's position was, we don't have to tell that to people because it's already pretty well known. Um, and that's not something the court has required in the past. And and the, Justice Lawson's point was, we need to be following that prior precedent you know, under a doctrine he calls, that's called stare decisis. Right. Yeah. And, and the majority opinion said, no, here's how we make the distinction. And uh, we don't feel we have to follow that case law because it's a somewhat different circumstance. And the analogy that the majority used was, hey, we told you twice how to do this in the first two medical marijuana amendments. If you followed that pattern, you know, we would have found it uh, appropriate and approved it here. That was essentially what they were saying. So, but that subtext on stare decisis is interesting because over the past two years, there's been a trend at the court to, you know, walk away from prior precedent, if not sometimes directly overturn prior precedent where the court, a majority of the court, feels that that prior decision was wrongly decided. So there, that's kind of an interesting side plot going on at the court, kind of the divi division over how, how much and to what extent stare decisis uh, is respected. So what's your best advice to anyone who still thinks that they want to do something about legalization? Uh, you're going to have to raise a, an awful lot of money really fast to get a constitutional amendment passed for sure. Um, and, you know, otherwise there's the legislative route, but I, I don't think I'd hold my breath uh, with, with the current constitution of the Florida legislature passing a recreational use in the, uh, statute, as has done in other states. Is the Citizens Initiative even viable after they pass the bill they're going to pass later on, you know, within the next week or so that cuts off the funding sources? Well, I, I got to tell you, Rick, I hope so, but uh, I'm not so sure because it, it's pretty draconian to limit, you know, especially to limit the uh, amount of contributions to $3,000 for the sponsoring committee. No politician would agree to such limit on their own affiliated committee. So it's pretty hypocritical that the politicians want to apply limits that they won't live by themselves. And, you know, in the end, the the right of self-governance is important. I mean, that's it's in our constitution and sovereignty truly resides in the people and the people should have the right and the ability to amend the constitution. We've already got a very high bar to meet in amending the Florida constitution, but the, the, the bill that's pending right now can put it almost out of reach in all honesty, um, because not only is it very expensive and difficult to do right now, but you're effectively taking away the ability to appropriately raise money in order to affect that change. Um, you know, the average citizen just can't achieve that anymore. Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview has been Glenn Burhans. He was one of the brains behind the all-voters vote amendment that made it to the ballot last year and was approved by 57% of Florida voters. That's a majority, but not enough of a majority. Take 60% to place an amendment in the state constitution. 
The Florida House approves HB 1537 that changes the voting process when the governor and cabinet decide who will run the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Department of Environmental Protection, and the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith of Orlando says the bill was designed to cut Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed out of the process because she's not a member of Club GOP. Our culture and our laws have required that all cabinet members support and unanimously vote to appoint important agency secretaries and other gubernatorial appointees. This bill completely disrupts that process and without justification. And the reason why is obvious. We are told that this bill has nothing to do with politics. But let's look at the text of the bill. We are now suddenly saying that rather than unanimous support being required in Florida's cabinet to approve these appointments, that it simply requires a majority vote, which means if one cabinet member opposes, that cabinet member can no longer have input on the appointment of these important positions. Why is that? There's suddenly a Democrat in the Florida cabinet. One, we're told that the bill has nothing to do with politics, but I think it's important to point out the elephant in the room. This is a nakedly political power grab in order to silence the voice of our agriculture commissioner, Nikki Freed, who is the only Democrat in the Florida cabinet. Members, this is disruptive. It's bad for Floridians. And we should reject it at face value as the power grab, the partisanly motivated power grab that it is. But the Republican who sponsored the bill, Representative Tommy Gregory of Sarasota, says he's shocked that anyone would accuse politicians of playing politics. The bill is not a political power grab. It simply is not. It doesn't matter how many times you say that it is, you can't make it that. The reality is the Constitution for the state of Florida outlines that it's a majority vote of the cabinet with the governor on the prevailing side. And the history of Florida confirms that was the way it had always been. And in fact, these cabinet functions and agencies that we're talking about were all created decades before the cabinet was reorganized. We are simply doing what Florida has always done by making sure that the same rules and process apply for FDLE, FDV, FDVA, the DEP, and Department of Highway Safety Motor Vehicles apply. Uh, this has nothing to do with politics. This is all about policy and structure and efficiency. The vote on Gregory's bill was 78 to 36, and it's been sent to the Senate. Speaking of the Senate, Otter Cat is back. On Thursday's podcast, you heard lawmakers talk about the mythical creature to haze a couple of rookies. But there was another freshman, Senator Jason Broder of Seminole County, and he has a bill ready-made for Otter Cats. Committee substitute for committee substitute for Senate Bill 976, a bill to be entitled an act relating to the protection of ecological systems. Senator Broder, you're recognized to explain your bill. 
Thank you, Mr. President. This bill protects ecological systems in Florida by mandating a study of rapid sediment accumulation in the Little Wakiva River. Most excitingly, though, this bill creates the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act, designating existing priorities of the Florida Ecological Greenways Network as the Florida Wildlife Corridor. It encourages recognition of these lands and waters when the Department of Transportation maintains, improves, and builds our highways. These provisions promote the preservation and protection of vulnerable lands and waters, especially those needed to allow for the migration and genetic exchange of Florida's apex predators, such as the black bear and the panther. And that is the bill, Mr. President. Any questions on the bill? Senator Book, you're recognized for a question. Thank you. Uh, Senator Broder, does this bill have anything to do with otter cats? You, you're recognized. Thank you, Mr. President. Should the FWC find that species exists, it would help protect them and their migration patterns for reproduction. Senator Boak, you're recognized. Thank you. Could you please describe the difference between an otter cat and a meerkat? Senator Broder, you're recognized. Uh, a meerkat is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, intelligent uh, animal. The, uh, uh, the, the otter cat is a, a two feet tall versus, you know, 10 feet tall of the meerkat. Since this is um, Senator Broder's apparent initiation day, are there any other questions that we would like to ask Senator Broder today? There were no more questions, and the bill passed without further frivolity. But thanks to Senator Lauren Book of Broward for keeping the otter cat joke going for another day. It's calendar time, folks. The House Commerce Committee meets at 8 in the morning. The Florida Life and Health Insurance Guarantee Association meets by conference call at 9. Senate Democrats hold a caucus meeting at 9. The House and Senate both have floor sessions scheduled to begin at 10. The Governor's Panel on Excellence in Long-Term Care meets at 10 to consider applications for Gold Seal Awards. And the House Rules Committee meets at 5. And finally today, a Florida couple tried to throw a lavish wedding at a multi-million dollar mansion they thought was vacant. But the owner was there when they showed up the morning of the ceremony and called 911 when they refused to leave. I have people trespassing on my property and they keep harassing me, calling me, and uh, they say they're having a wedding here and it's God's uh, message. And I don't know what's going on. All I want is to stop. Shanita Jones and Courtney Wilson had asked the owner if they could use his place. He told them no, but that didn't stop the Florida couple from trying. They had no idea he actually lived at another house on the property. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg inviting you to join us again on Monday for the final week of the legislative session as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.